The Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. It can be found on page 81 of your pew Bible. Moses came down from Mount Sinai as he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face, but whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. second scripture lesson this morning does come from Luke chapter 9 and at one time I did a children's sermon on this passage and wore sunglasses because this scripture reading is so bright let us listen to God's word now about eight days after these sayings Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray and while he was praying the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became a dazzling white suddenly two men Moses and Elijah were talking to him they appeared in glory and were speaking of Jesus departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not really knowing what he said. While Peter was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one anything of the things that they had seen. The word of the Lord.
holy, loving, and gracious God. How we would long to stay on the mountaintop and know your love and hear your words of affirmation and speak to us so directly that we have no doubt about the way we need to go. Come to us now and speak to us of things eternal, even if they are ephemeral and last but a moment. And may we be transformed. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One, one time, when I was preparing to preach on the Transfiguration, which is not the easiest passage to preach on, I really wanted to be prepared. And so I read, and I studied, and I looked through all the commentaries, and I researched online, and I knew every Greek word, and looked up all of the allusions to Moses' shining face, and that brightness that the disciples experienced. But then I decided that I needed to go to the mountaintop which was difficult because I lived on Long Island. And there aren't mountains on Long Island. So I found the largest hill, the brief incline of Earth, and went there. It happened to be at the Veterans Memorial in between the highway, the divided highway, and I drove up there and parked in the parking lot and walked up as high as I could and stood there and waited for something to happen. Well, not much was happening with me. When I went down to my car, I found that some youth-ish were taking the antenna off my car. It was not the spiritual experience I had anticipated. And I drove home rather disappointed and not the least bit angry, or a bit angry about the antenna. Still, we need to experience the divine. We need those one-on-one -on -one or group encounters with the love of God and the presence of God. Now, if you grew up in the Reformed faith tradition, we learned to read and study the Bible. We were taught what we were to believe about God and Jesus and our faith. We learned that Jesus was born in Nazareth and that David fought Goliath and that Jesus is God's only begotten son and that he rose from the dead. 
We memorized the Apostles' Creed at our confirmation. At that time, we studied the scientific method and developed critical thinking. We looked to reason as the way of gaining knowledge and understanding, and sometimes the only valid way of gaining knowledge and understanding. We knew logic and studied logic in school. We learned to be skeptical of anything that could not be scientifically proven. We sought explanations for how miracles might really have happened. We wanted proof of the resurrection. We thought miracles were only about something that went beyond the laws of nature. We never thought to look at the sky as a miracle or the grass as a miracle. And we have heard too many people say they've heard the voice of God or have some vision and use that as a justification for some terrible, terrible prejudice or violence or abuse. And we are right. We are right to question and to think and to ask critical questions and to learn and to study. It's a hallmark of being Presbyterian. There are Presbyterian schools all over this world who have left a wonderful legacy of education and learning. And then we have these stories. Something happened on the mountaintop. And it hardly makes sense, and the images really don't make sense. There's clouds and visions and voices, but something happened. And we can sort of sense that it was so strange that the writer doesn't even quite know how to express it. Peter and James and John were asleep, but maybe not really. And while they were asleep, they were also awake, and it was over so fast, and it must have been like a strange dream. And it is certainly no wonder they didn't tell anybody about it, because who would ever have believed them if they had? Still, the experience changed them. Jesus had made the decision to go to Jerusalem he knew what it took to confront injustice, and he knew he probably wasn't going to get out alive. And God gives him this amazing experience with the great ones of the faith, Moses and Elijah. We are with you. Do not be afraid. Jesus even hears God saying, You are my beloved. And God telling the disciples, Pay attention. Listen to him. God connected with Jesus in awe and wonder, giving him courage and affirmation. 
giving him that strength to go forward into that terrible time. For Peter and James and John, we might wonder how it changed them. When they were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, did not Jesus say, stay awake? And what happened? Again, they fell asleep, really asleep. Still, at some point, they told someone about this story and what they had experienced. And it gave them some courage somehow to trust Jesus, especially later when people said that they saw Jesus, even after he had died and that they experienced his presence, they could say, yes, something like that happened to us. We can know all about God, and we can study the Bible and know all there is to know about the Bible. And we can study prayer and know all there is to know about prayer. And we can study forgiveness and sort of try to understand how that might work. But knowing about is not the same thing as experiencing. It's not the same thing to know about prayer as it is to pray or be prayed over and have that sense of the presence of God. And it is easier to understand the power and the stories of the Bible when we've had the experience of needing God's presence or working with the hungry or being sick and longing for Jesus to heal us, or visiting the sick, or being imprisoned in a hospital bed and having someone come to visit to free us. We need to experience the love of God in music and in nature and in the community of faith where people don't think it's so strange to encounter God. One of the writers, contemporary writers, of the change that's happening in the church away from dogma, knowing about, to practices, and experiencing the faith, not that we give up knowing about, but that we turn to the practices. And, and going back, to the 18th century, to the philosopher and pastor, Jonathan Edwards, who said, an experience of God's love is the beginning of faith. It calls forth in us a great sense of mystery, wonder, and the unity of all things, and it spurs us to love and serve our neighbor. There is that transforming element when we experience the love of God. Now, certainly we cannot force 
the Spirit of God, like going up to the hill on Long Island and expecting God to just come down and happen. And we may stumble into profound experience of God's love in the birth of a child or in the incredibly moving sermon of the day that changes our lives. Or the music. Or something we never noticed before in the stained glass window. We often find God in nature. But we know that experiencing God only in nature may not be enough to get us through the really, really hard times. We need each other. We need God. One of the things that spirituality teaches us, or Jesus' spirituality certainly teaches us, is that encountering God is not something that just happens. It takes time. And I don't just mean the time that we set aside when we find that thing that relates to our souls and brings us that awe and joy. But time, like through the years, we cannot learn the practices of our faith all at once. It takes time. Another writer of contemporary religion, contemporary spirituality, writes of going to a monastery where they were in a conference and they all, you know, went out to go and pray with the monks at their daily prayer time. And this woman talks about getting caught up in this conversation and being late to the chapel and sitting down and five minutes into it, she basically missed the entire thing. It was that short. And yet the monks gathered five times a day. And they did it day after day and year after year till their lives were shaped by that power of prayer. We need the intentional practice. And we need to be gentle on ourselves. And we need to wait and do it again and again. The other thing that we can learn from the Transfiguration, of course, is that it took Jesus' time. In Luke, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus was praying and worshiping at least since the age of 12. We know that because he ran off from his mom and dad and held out and held it out in the temple for a good three days before they figured out he was gone and came back to get him. And there he was listening to the stories and praying in the temple. And that was 
20 years of praying. It is good to have people with us, even when they fall asleep on us or say the wrong words. It is good to have two or three people or one around, and even better to have a whole support network to love us with whom we can share those deepest experiences of our faith and say, you know, I was with him when he died. And I actually sort of felt Jesus' arm around me. Or, you know, Molly, I had this dream about my dad, and he's been dead a long time. But he came and sat there. Do you think that was real? Faith happens. It happens. It is sparked by an experience of God's love and deepened over time with practice. Sometimes we find ourselves on the mountaintop and have that profound experience, singing in the gospel choir or listening to Bach's mass in B minor. It may be at a rally for gun control or as dramatic as sensing Jesus with you or just sitting in church and having the light from the stained glass window shine on the pew next to you. We need to trust these transforming, transcendence moments of grace. We need to know that they're there and they happen. We can't stay in those moments long, but we can claim the joy and the beauty as God's gifts, and we can take them with us. So that we have them through all the mountains and valleys of our lives until at last we bask forever in the glory of God's eternal love. Amen.